Amen. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 10 tonight. Second Samuel chapter 10 as we continue our series looking at David, the model of a growing leader. And tonight is a great contrast to last week's message from 2 Samuel chapter 9 because in both chapters, David is extending kindness to someone. And last week we saw that Mephibosheth, the young man that David extended kindness to, received David's kindness and actually was able then to sit at the king's table for the rest of his life. Tonight, we're going to see that as David extends kindness to someone, that kindness is rejected. And we're going to see how that plays out. But again, let's remember tonight that throughout our study of David in 2 Samuel, we are also looking at this primarily through the lens of leadership. We are digging in and finding leadership principles that we can also apply to our life that we see in the text each week. Because again, I believe that God created all of us to be leaders and is desiring all of us in our Christian growth to grow to be the leader that God desired and created us to be. So let's begin in chapter 10 with verse 1. Later the king of the Ammonites died and his son Hanun uh, succeeded him. The point I want to make there is that As a leader, we need to recognize that life is never static and that we need to anticipate change. We need to be flexible. Things aren't always going to stay the same. David had a great relationship with the king. But as we're going to see in just a moment, he didn't have a great relationship with his son. And you and I can't expect that just because we have a relationship with one person in a family means we're going to have a great relationship with another person in the same family. Each individual relationship is going to stand or fall on its own. And we need to learn that life never stays the same. We don't stay the same. Other people don't stay the same. And situations and circumstances don't stay the same. So we need to anticipate that And always be willing to adapt to the changing circumstances and people that we're presented with. And let me say a note about people. Because that's primarily what our ministry is all about. One of the things that I have learned more than anything else, and it's been reinforced in 28 years as a pastor is that people are fickle. They just are. So, I, you know, <laughs> there's been times like, oh, okay, I sort of, sort of think I know where, you know, I, I can count on them, I, I, I know who they are, I know what's going to happen. Nah. Because people change. And... We need to realize that. I think what God calls us to, though, as leaders, is to be that consistent, stabilizing force. So that 
you know, other people may change and other people are going to come and go and situations are going to change and circumstances. And not that we're not going to change because we should be coming more like Jesus Christ. But that there should also be a consistency and a stability with our lives. There, there, there shouldn't be, as Paul says, that we're just sort of driven by whatever wind of doctrine comes or whatever new thing comes down the pike or whatever. There should be that stability to us. And we're, we, we see that is even more needed today in the world in which we live. Because change comes even faster than it ever did. People change even more, I think, than they ever do. Um, there seems to be less stick to with a lot of folks today. And so that's why it's so important that we just, day in, day out, just get up and be the follower of Christ that God wants us to be regardless of what all's going on around us. And then you see here in verse 2, David said, I will express my loyalty to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father was loyal to me. Now, we don't know exactly what the father did, but the implication here is that David and the king, his father, had a great relationship. And I want you to notice in the word express there, another important leadership principle. And that is that we shouldn't just talk about it. We shouldn't just feel it. We should act on it. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I, I really have feelings for this young man who just lost his father. His father just died. Uh, I'll pray for him. I, I feel bad for him, but not necessarily move to action. And what we see here is it's great to feel, it, it's great to sympathize, it's great to empathize, but there's also that point where, especially as leaders, we need to act and act with effect, which is what the word express means. It, it sort of goes back to the importance that James puts on faith without works is dead. And this is the works part. You know, how can we say we, you know, love somebody if we hear a need and we don't choose, James says, to meet that need. David was choosing to express his kindness, his goodness, his loyalty, his faithfulness to the son of the king that he had a good relationship with. Hoping, like in chapter 9 with Mephibosheth, that his son would receive his kindness. By the way, this word loyalty in my translation in verse 2 is the word that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe covenant loyalty. It is the word that's used to describe God's covenant loyalty and faithfulness to what he has promised his people. And David, just like he did with Jonathan, just like he did with Mephibosheth, is saying, I entered into a covenant, if you will. And, and I'm just following through and being faithful with who I have been, and I just want to continue to be who I am in this. And I want to express it. So obviously, I think another principle and point is, it is important for leaders to be good, kind, and faithful. Loyal. 
people. Because we're reflecting God when we do that. God is good. God is kind. God is faithful. God is loyal. And God expects us, especially leaders, to be the same. So notice in verse 2, David sent his servants with a message expressing sympathy. The word sympathy means to comfort, to console, to have compassion over his father's death. He felt bad that this young man lost his father, which was a good friend of David, and just wanted to send a, a message of sympathy and comfort and compassion to this young man. When David's servants entered the land of the Ammonites, notice what happens in verse 3. The Ammonite officials said to their lord, Hanun, do you really think David is trying to honor your father by sending these messengers to express his sympathy? No, David has sent his servants to you to get information about the city and spy on it so they can overthrow it. Several really important things here. First of all, we know, if we know the text, that Hanun's advisors are giving him really, really bad counsel and advice. The Bible is all about encouraging us to go to godly people and to receive counsel and advice. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety, the Bible says. But the Bible says that when you and I go to people for advice, we better also be going to the right people. Because if we go to the wrong people who give us the wrong advice and the wrong counsel, it can really destroy our lives and blow up many other people's lives as well. So it's not just going for counsel or asking others maybe what they think. It's making sure that we pray and ask God to guide us to the right counsel and the right people to talk to. Because again, I've seen it throughout my life. Christians will take the step of going to get counsel, but end up going to the wrong person for counsel. Or, they're in a situation in life where all they really want is affirmation of what they're doing wrong. And so they'll go and, until they find somebody who will say and agree that what you're doing is okay. And so we just need to be very careful about who our counselors and advisors are. The other thing I want you to see here in verse 3 is when these advisors, these officials tell Hanun, do you really think David is trying to honor your father? Very interestingly, the word think there in the Hebrew literally means the I. Beyond that, it means the spring or fountain. In other words, it, it goes back to that concept of you know, you can see someone's soul, if you will, or what they're really like inside by just looking at their eyes because, okay, we'll let that just stay there. Because the eyes, in a sense, or are the spring or fountain of what's inside. Here's the connection I want to make. These officials have determined that the reason that they have come to the conclusion they have about David is because that's the way they would act. In other words, people see other people the way they see themselves. 
if I would be dastardly and do something deceptive like this, that means I think everybody else that does something like this is doing the same thing. See, that, that, that's, that's, that's where we have to be careful. That especially as leaders, we're different. That we don't judge what other people are doing by the way we would necessarily handle the situation. That can be dangerous. Because notice in this situation a couple things. First of all, they go on to say, David has sent his servants to get information, to examine, to investigate, to ascertain about the city and spy on it so that they can overthrow it. The bottom line problem here with these advisors was they were insecure. And their insecurity led to unfounded suspicion and misguided motives of others. That's what insecure people will do. That's why, again, as leaders, we need to be secure in who we are and secure in our relationship with God and secure in who God is. Because when a person is insecure, they will start being suspicious without any foundation at all of anyone and everyone. And because they would stoop that low, they think everybody else would stoop that low. And they begin to judge other people's motives, which again, have no foundation. That's exactly what happened here. And notice, because of that, we're going to see that this thing escalates and blows up into a war. All because this young king who took over for his father had really bad counselors and advisors in his life. They were coming from a totally bad foundation, going back to Sunday's message, if you will, for a second. Their outlook was not spiritual. Their outlook was totally fleshly. And therefore, they gave the king bad advice, and it led to even more trouble. We've got to be careful of all of these pitfalls when it comes to ministry and leadership. So notice in verse 4 what happened. Hanun seized David's servants and shaved off half of each one's beard. He cut the lower part of their robes off so that their buttocks was exposed and then sent them away. Well, there's a nice way to treat people. I bet some of you never saw that in the Bible before, did you? Let me say this. Still to this day, in that part of the world, a man's beard is a sign of strength, honor, and dignity. For them to do what they did. And by the way, when they even cut off the robe... The Jewish robe had tassels at the bottom which marked the distinctiveness of God's people. They took those away as well when they cut the robe off. Basically, this was an insult. It was shaming them. It was dis- and, and you think about this now. All David was trying to do was console and comfort this young man who just lost his father and he was just trying to do something nice. And look what he gets in return. We've all been there. All I was trying to do is what God wanted me to do. And look at how, what a mess this turned out to be. Sometimes that will happen. But remember, all we can do and all we can control 
is what we've done before the Lord. David didn't do anything wrong. But unlike Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where his kindness was received, David's kindness here was rejected. And the point I want to make before we go to verse 5 is, and this is another principle of leadership, what did the leadership of the Ammonites expect would be the outcome of this strategy? Did they think, did they even, did they think beyond their nose? Did they give any thought to the fact that if we do this, if we shave off half of their beards and we cut off their robes and we shame them and we dishonor them and insult them to this degree and then they go back to Israel, what do we think is going to happen? Do we think they're just going to go, oh, well, you know, they treat us bad, no big deal. No. Part of leadership is saying in each and every situation, if I do this, what's going to be the outcome of this? What are the ramifications and consequences of this? It's like some people, they, they do something without ever, it seems like, giving thought to if I do this or I say this or I react this way, I respond this way, how's this going to play out? I dealt with this years ago. I looked at some people in leadership in a church and I said, you can continue to go down this path, but you realize if you go down this path, you're going to destroy the church. They didn't give any thought to what their actions, what eventually it was going to cause. Because we've got to be careful that all of us don't get so caught up in the moment and the emotion of everything that we don't look past what we're doing and see the long-term effects of what we're doing and what we're saying. And that was obviously true here. So in verse 5, messengers told David what had happened, so he summoned them. For the men were thoroughly humiliated. Again, insulted, shamed, dishonored. It was a great indignity what they did. But notice what the king said, David. Here's another great principle of leadership. Stay in Jericho until your beards have grown again, then you may come back. What's David doing here? Well, again... Because these men had been so insulted and dishonored and shamed by having their beards cut the way it was, they weren't in a good place. And so what David is doing by telling them to stay in Jericho is basically, look, I don't expect you to be part of this fight. I don't expect you at this point to, to minister, to serve, to be part of that. You need to personally get into a better place first where you feel better about yourself in a, in a right way with God. I mean, not just a self-esteem problem, but where you are in a better place with God in a better place with yourself. In a sense, what David is allowing them to do is time to heal. That's important. As I shared with you a couple weeks ago, we have people who are trickling in from other churches and other ministries in the, in the area and they'll even come up and say look we we eventually want to serve here we want to get more involved 
but we're coming from a really bad experience and we just need to lay low for a while. That's fine. I get it. Because guess what? There's been times in my life as a pastor because of what I went through. I needed to get myself in a better place before I could be effective for God. Whether it was what someone else had done to me or what I had done to myself. I had to allow God time to heal me and get me in a better place before going sort of back into the battle and back into the front lines. And that's what David is doing here with these men. Stay in Jericho until your beards have grown back, until you are in a better place. I don't expect you to do this yet. You need to heal. Verse 6, when the Ammonites realized that David was disgusted with them, well, that's an understatement. And they realized it was their... It wasn't because of what David did. It was because of what they did. By the way, the word disgusted in my translation in the Hebrew literally means to stink or smell bad. In other words, what they're basically saying is we know that we stink before David. We know we smell bad before David because of what we did. We're putting off a bad odor. Yeah. And then notice what they do, though. They sent and hired 20,000 foot soldiers in addition to 1,000 men from the king of Makkah and 12,000 men from Ishtab. Point I want to make. This is the tactic of a fearful enemy. Recruiting opportunistic reinforcements. That's a sign of fear. Or let me even say it this way. These people needed external validation. You see, if we as a leader or a person of God are operating by faith, then we don't need any external validation. We don't need to go around to people going, you think I'm right in this, don't you? You're, you're on my side with this, right? We won't need that. All we need to know is that we're acting in faith, obeying what God said to do, regardless of whether anybody thinks we're right or not. We know that we can lay our head on the pillow at night and be at peace with God and know we did what God wanted us to do. But when people aren't sure of what they're doing and they're acting out of fear rather than out of faith, they try to multiply the reinforcements and try to get all the external validation that they can you think I'm right. You're on my side. And then what begins to happen, especially in churches, you've seen it, is it can start out with a disagreement between two people. And if two people are acting out of fear rather than faith, pretty soon those two people have a hundred people on each side. And pretty soon the church just splits right down the middle. God doesn't want us to act out of fear. The just shall live by faith. And God wants to make sure that when we make a move, that we know we're making the move with Him. And therefore, regardless of whether anybody else, what they think, the bottom line is, I'm not here to please them anyway. We're here to ultimately please God and do what God is asking us to do.
So when David heard the news, verse 7, he sent Joab and the entire army to meet them. The point I want to make here is David, as a leader, had some strong, mighty, brave people that he could call upon. That's important. Not only that we have a strength, but that we've got people and maybe a team or whatever around us of strong people. Because sometimes, guys, we're going to have to engage. We're going to have to fight, whether we like it or not. Because we've got to stand up for what's right and what's true. So notice in verse 8, the Ammonites marched out and were deployed for battle at the entrance of the city gate while all the other men were themselves in the field. Now notice, when Joab, David's general, saw that the battle would be fought on two fronts, this is a historic military way of fighting. The pincer movement. Think of a lobster claw. It's what armies down through history have tried to do. And Joab could see, I got, I got two armies and two fronts. How am I going to deal with this? A couple things. Notice, he chose some of Israel's best men and deployed them against the Arameans. He put his brother Abishai in charge of the rest of the army and they were deployed against the Ammonites. And Joab said, if the Arameans start to overpower me, you come to my rescue. If the Ammonites start to overpower you, I will come to your rescue. Several points here, especially as far as leadership goes. I want to go back up to verse 9. Fighting a battle on two fronts. One of the things that I've shared with Christians over the years is this. I believe that humanly we can only fight one battle at a time. Many times over the years, Christians have come to me with multiple things that they're, in a sense, dealing with in their life. And part of why they're so discouraged and so frustrated is they're trying to give attention and energy and focus to multiple fronts at the same time. And even though we pride ourselves in being multitaskers and all of that, folks, it just doesn't work. So my counsel and advice, which I believe is based on the Bible, is simply this. You've got to pray and ask God, what is the priority in these things you're dealing with? What is the one thing? And, and choose individually what is the one thing God wants you to focus on. And once you've gotten a handle or, or gotten that under control, then move to the next thing in priority. But don't continue to try to deal with multiple battles at the same time. You can only fight one battle at a time. And the second thing that we see from this passage is this. When we are presented with, in a sense, two fronts coming against us at the same time, there's a couple things we can do. First of all, we should never try to fight that battle alone. Notice that Joab asked for help. Too often, as Christians, we're dealing with multiple situations in our life at the same time, and we're drowning. We're, we're being overwhelmed. We're being overcome. It's too much for us. 
And yet we won't reach out and ask for help. Well, Joab said, I can't deal with these two fronts at the same time. So he entrusted his brother and said, you take one, I'll take one. And then notice what he said. If I start to go down, if they start to prevail, if they start to overpower me, will you leave what you're doing and come help me? And guess what? If the situation's on the other foot and you need help, I'll divert some of my troops over and we'll help you. That's the way the body of Christ should work. If we see another brother or sister in Christ or a situation that's starting to get the best and starting to overwhelm and over... Then we need to send more reinforcements and, and more troops, if you will, there. If we can hold our own over here, then that's where we need to divert our energy and attention. It sort of goes back to that principle last week of every once in a while making sure that as we take evaluation of our lives and ministries and things, that if there's some area of our life that is weak and needing attention, the infrastructure, if you will, is, is deteriorating and corrupting from the inside, that we've got to maybe take a little bit more time and attention with that for a while and shore it up before moving on. That's what you see happening here. I love this picture of they're just helping, going to help. They're going to go into battle Neither one can fight all that's going on. So you take that one, I'll take that one. But if you start to get overwhelmed, it's okay to ask for help. So many Christians feel defeated and somehow less than they should because they ask for help. There is nothing in the Word of God that says we should be ashamed to ask for help. There's, there's, there's no verse or passage that says a Christian should feel ashamed if, in asking somebody else for help. You can't find it. In fact, God says just the opposite. First of all, he's always encouraging us. Why don't you ask me for help? Why are you doing that by yourself? And then he's encouraging us as other Christians. Why don't we ask our brothers and sisters in Christ for help, or why don't as brothers and sisters in Christ, we be more there for each other and help? And we see that here. So notice in verse 12, some great advice, and then we'll wrap this up this evening. Oh, wow, I might actually quit at 8 o'clock tonight. This is Three things I want you to notice. First of all, in verse 12, be strong. Leaders need to be strong. Christians need to be strong. That's why we are concentrating on our spiritual growth here. Because it is through our spiritual growth and maturity that we will be strong. By the way, the word strong here means to be firm, to be resolute, to be courageous. To be able to withstand whatever is coming against us. That's what the word means. There will be forces and opposition and all kinds of things periodically that come against us. God wants us in Him. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. God wants us to grow in our strength. To grow in our firmness, in our resoluteness, in our courage. To stand our ground and withstand whatever the enemy is throwing at us. 
And here's the great thing. If you're here tonight and deem yourself as weak or not strong enough, totally fixable. You can start tonight to become stronger. So be strong. Second, let's fight bravely for the sake of our people and the cities of our God. The second principle here is to always remember that we're fighting for something bigger than ourselves. That's what Joab reminded them of. By the way, let's fight bravely. In the Hebrew, means to display strength, to be bold. Not just for us, Joab said, but for the sake of our families, our friends, the cities that God has established. There's more at stake here than just how this affects us. And then finally in verse 12, the next, the Lord will do what He decides is best. Notice here in verse 12, the great sort of marriage, if you will, between doing what we need to do and what's our responsibility to do, what's within our control, if you will, but then leaving what is out of our control into the hands of God. I wrote here in my Bible underneath this verse, courageous faith rests in the providence of God. That's what Joab was exhorting them to do. Look, guys, we're going to do what we need to do. We're not just going to sit around and expect God to do it all for us. We'll engage in the battle. We'll be strong. We'll be brave. We'll be courageous. We'll fight. We'll give it our best shot. But at the end of the day, we've got to leave the results and how this all plays out into the hands of God. And that's what courageous faith does. It rests in the providence of God. God's going to ultimately decide how this all goes. Verse 13, so Joab and his men marched out to do battle with the Arameans, and notice what happened. Even before they engaged in battle, they fled. Literally in the Hebrew, they ran away, they disappeared. That's exactly what God promised his people would happen. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, he said, if you just follow me and obey me and you do what I tell you to do, many times you won't even have to engage. All you have to do is show that you are willing to fight and that you're going to be strong and that you're not going to back down. And many times, even before you get into the fight, your enemies will back down before you have to even get involved. Sometimes in situations I've seen myself in life get to, I just, I don't want to say this. The people that I was engaged with just had to see that I was willing to take a stand. That I was strong enough to do something and then they backed off and didn't press the issue. Sometimes that's the way it works. And we see that that happened here. Now, like a lot of times, they can be persistent. Because even though they flee, notice in verse 15, when the Arameans realized that they had been defeated by Israel, they consolidated their forces, literally united all together for one final push. 
So what's David do in verse 17? When David was informed, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and was going to meet the enemy head on. All their forces against all of Israel's forces. The point I want to make here is notice that a leader will try to gather the focused strength of God's people against whatever they're dealing with. That, that's what leaders need to continually do. We need to, we need to get people and, and continue to remind people what the focus is and gather them together, in a sense, as one united front. It doesn't matter what ministry you're talking about, even within a ministry like ours. I've told our ministry directors and our staff over and over again, because I've had to remind myself of this as well, we have to continually remind ourselves and everyone around, here's what the goal is. Here's what the goal is. Because it seems like, though we can be told, this is what the goal is, this is what the value is, this is where our focus should be, after a time, if we don't continually remind ourselves of that, we forget where we should be focused. And what God asks all of us to, to do and to be is to make sure that we're continually keeping our focus where it needs to be, our values where our need, they need to be, our goals where they need to be. And so we can focus that energy and that attention and all of that where it needs to be. And so the Bible basically says again that they definitely completely destroyed the enemy and forced a favorable peace. In fact, in verse 19, the last verse of this chapter says, when all the kings who were subject to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made a covenant of peace with Israel and became subjects of Israel. And the Arameans were no longer willing to help the Hamanites. By the way, just for some of you who like the Hebrew, the words no longer willing in verse 19 literally mean fear, afraid, terrified. The reason they weren't no longer willing to help the Ammonites is there was a fear of the people of God united. They saw God in the midst of his people, making them strong. Before we wrap this up tonight, seeing David in such triumph, I want to end tonight and transition into next week with this very important principle. If you were to divide the book of 2 Samuel... The first 10 chapters, you could summarize as David's triumphs. Pretty much the first 10 chapters, David's on top, he's defeating, he's conquering. But between chapter 10 and chapter 11, chapter 11 through the rest of the book talks about David's troubles. And David has a lot of troubles 
that he caused and brought on himself. And here's the point I want to make. I think this very clearly illustrates for us a very important principle. And that is that many times it's harder to handle prosperity than it is adversity. You see, things were going well for David in the first ten chapters. But because they were going so well and he was so prosperous, and instead of living in a cave like he did when he was running for his life, when he was really close to God writing all those psalms and stuff, now he was sitting in the palace. Things were good. And somewhere along the line, we don't know exactly, instead of getting stronger, as the Bible talked about a few chapters earlier, David, through his prosperity and through the blessings and through all of that that was going well, he started to become weaker. We have to be careful of that. Let's face it, we struggle with that. That's human nature. When when our lives, when we're dealing with something heavy and there's adversity or whatever, man, most of the time, man, we're on our knees, we're faithful to church, man, we're looking for answers, we are, we are just, we're on a whole different plane. It's like we're close to God and we're clinging to God and we're talking to God and every move we make, it's with God. And, and there's something that you can even see that with David. David's best day spiritually may have been the time he was running for his life from Saul. When he finally did get to the palace, like many of us, when we get to maybe a good place in our life, he got too comfortable. He got too complacent. He started to become weak spiritually and it was going to open up and expose an area of his life that really he had struggled with all his life, but now was going to come to the forefront in chapter 11 when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And the rest of his life was never going to be the same. David's life was going to be filled with pain. And it was a much different pain than the pain he experienced when he was running for his life from Saul. This pain was on a whole different level. Because like many of us and like many leaders... We handle adversity better than we handle prosperity. God wants to teach us how to handle both. Because God wants to bless us. He wants to prosper us. He, He wants to get us in a good place. But many times when we're there, it's almost like we just either intentionally or unintentionally put our Christian life on cruise control and just go to, man, life's good. I'm in a good place, don't have any worries, don't have any health concerns, feeling good, doing good. And somewhere we start to forget about God and how desperately we need God every minute of the day. And because we're not as 
conscientious and committed and dedicated to just continuing to grow in the Lord, we start to become weak and we start to open up our lives to a lot of things that are going to come in and ruin and destroy us. That might be the single greatest takeaway as we transition from the first ten chapters into what we're going to see next week in chapter 11. And oh my, a tragic chapter, yes, but oh my, what a chapter that we can learn from as well. So I hope you'll come back next week as we pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's pray. God, we thank you for such instruction and insight, such great reminders, such great truth, God, that we just constantly need to be reminded of. It's so easy for all of us to get in a place in our life where things are going fairly good and yet you become less important. Somewhere along life's road, God, we've got to get to a place where we realize that whether things are good or whether things aren't good, we need you. And we need to continue to grow and run after you and search your word and pray and get around other strong believers and do everything we can to continue to put ourselves in an environment where we can thrive and mature. Because if we don't, Something's going to come along in life, some circumstance, some situation that's just going to run us over and bury us. And before we know it, we're going to look up and wonder what in the world happened. So God, help us to take some preventative medicine from these chapters. Help us to apply and incorporate some of these very, very important principles into our life every day. Most of all, Lord, help us just to keep our focus where it needs to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. We'll see you Sunday.